Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Nancy Twine, the founder and CEO of Briogeo. She has an incredible founder story that led her from a finance career at Goldman Sachs to becoming the youngest African-American woman to launch a brand at Sephora. So far for 2022, she's introduced two new firsts under her brand and is excited to bring more innovations this year to market in the competitive prestige hair care landscape. Take a listen. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Really excited for this. I was excited when uh, I saw you were the leading authority on green beauty and the youngest African-American to launch a product line at Sephora. That was that I got very excited at both those facts. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So I'd love to to kind of go back and what gave you the idea to launch Briogeo? Yeah. You know, it's really funny because um, one of the cool things about being in the beauty industry is finding out that a lot of my beauty industry peers like myself actually didn't start their careers in beauty. They were doing something very, very different, um, as was I. I actually started my career in finance. So um, straight out of undergrad, I went to the University of Virginia and I was always really interested in entrepreneurism. I had lots of little you know, kind of side hustles when I was in high school and college, but there wasn't like an entrepreneurism track um, at UVA. So kind of the closest thing to it was going to the undergrad business school where I eventually became a finance major. And that ultimately led me um, to my first career in finance. So I ended up spending um, the first seven years of my career working at Goldman Sachs in the commodity sales and trading division And when I started at Goldman, the year was 2007. So it was right before that big 2008 financial crisis. And it was just a really, really hectic, stressful, overwhelming time to be working in the industry. And I feel like very shortly after being on the job, I realized that, you know, being in finance wasn't my life calling, but I didn't really know what my life calling was. And Unfortunately, halfway through my career at Goldman, um, I lost my mom, and that really became the catalyst for me thinking about what it was I wanted to do next. And I actually took some time off from work, really just to have some time to focus on myself and to regroup and, and recollect you know, myself. And during that time, I started really thinking about what it was I wanted to do. And through that process, I really you know, kind of meditated and, and explored the, the times in my life that I was most joyful and, and most happy. And one of those times that was really profound to me was actually the times that I spent with my mom, who was a chemist and physician, um, making our own clean beauty products at home. And we would go to our local health food store and buy all sorts of oils and extracts and butters and waxes and bring them back home and transform them into these highly effective, you know, beauty products. Um, So even just, you know, as a young girl, I learned, you know, the basics of cosmetic chemistry and really the fact that you could take these very pure ingredients from the earth and transform them into um, functional beauty products. And so that really kind of became this like aha inspirational moment for me to think about starting my own 
beauty line, which is something I never even thought about before. I never even had a dream of doing that. And I think part of the reason why it became so inspirational at that moment is because, you know, this was back in 2010, like, you know, 12 years ago, you were starting to see more clean, naturally derived beauty brands pop up on shelf in a way that hadn't really existed before. So it was really kind of this opportunity to actually take something that, you know, my mom and I were doing when I was younger and actually turn it into a business in a way that I really didn't even think was possible before. And so ultimately that was really kind of the inspiration for me, you know, kicking off my business plan and and taking the initial steps to transition from finance into a career of being a, a beauty entrepreneur. I'm so curious what it's like to go from, you know, small batch making things in your kitchen or home to saying, okay, how do I legitimize this? How do I turn this into something that, you know, can hit a Sephora that, you know, that can scale? And I would love to hear about how you, you know, went through that discovery process. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had I had no idea how bigger companies did what they did. And so, you know, it's so funny because I feel like so much of my journey was really kind of, you know, seeking out the answers and having them kind of, you know, magically unfold over time. And um, I remember, you know, telling a friend about what it was I wanted to do. And she goes, oh, you know, I actually have a friend who has like a deodorant brand and I should connect you guys. And then I get on the phone with him and I was like, you know, are you making this stuff at home or like, how are you doing it? And then that was the first time that I learned about contract manufacturing. Like I had no idea that you could actually contract out the manufacturing process to a lab and manufacturing facility that could actually make your products. Like I thought that you would have to like own it to be able to do that. And so it was just these little moments of, you know, asking people questions and getting answers and then being able to do my own research to figure out, okay, you know, how do I get a contract manufacturer to help me, you know, develop these products at Briogeo? And then what's going to be important for me in finding that contract manufacturer? So like what needs to be true? And so, you know, it was definitely several early years of just discovery through asking questions, doing research and, you know, really putting a lot of my time and energy into learning. And when you went to go do it and, and learn how to scale, were you scared? Were you hesitant? Like, does anyone want this? Does anyone care? Like, I feel like clean beauty now is the norm, but 10, 12 years ago, I feel like it was so rare to hear that term. Yeah, totally. It was definitely very early on, but I think unlike a lot of beauty entrepreneurs today, like I wasn't even really thinking about how to turn it into this big commercial brand. Like that wasn't even, you know, I I probably would have been fine if, you know, my main, you know, sources of income were, you know, smaller boutiques and things like that. But I know a lot of the brands that are launching now, you know, a big part of their plan is, you know, growing and scaling because they've taken on early investment, et cetera. For me, it was more so like a passion project. It was something that like I wanted to do because it fulfilled me, not something that I wanted to do because, you know, I had to turn it into this big thing or, you know, satisfy an investor or whatever. 
And so because it was something that I wanted to do, I think I felt less of the pressure of, you know, making it this big thing, though, I was really smart about making sure that it was something that could be a viable, scalable concept if I wanted it to be. And I did do a lot of research to, you know, get a sense of like, what was this whole natural personal care movement? And was it this trend or was it something that was going to be bigger and actually, you know, be kind of the dominant force within beauty and personal care? So I did do a lot of that early work and, you know, I went to the small business library and I was downloading research reports and everything was like pointing to the future of clean beauty. So even if the goal was to kind of start small, I had a lot of confidence that if I wanted it to be bigger, that, hey, like this is where things were evolving and it could be something really big. So you start scaling, you have contract manufacturing. What was it like getting that first order? Was it scary? I know, you know, with us, those first orders, large orders are incredibly exciting, but it's a financing issue. It's a, if they don't come back to the party, it's a big problem because now you've scaled and now you shrink. So I would love for you to sort of dive into what that was like for you. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that was really important to, you know, my plan early on was finding a contract manufacturer that would help me to produce, you know, small batches, but also had the, you know, capability to be able to scale to larger because you're right, you know, starting out, you don't want to overinvest in inventory because you're still learning what the demand looks like. You're still, you know, building your customer base, all of those things. And so getting my first order um, with Sephora was a really, really big deal. Um, we were actually kind of really the first indie hair brand to have launched at Sephora. I think we were the next brand to launch after Dry Bar. So it was still so early in terms of how Sephora's consumer base would you know, be even receptive to an indie hair brand. So I think, you know, we were really cautious and making sure that we didn't overinvest, but that we also had, you know, the agility to scale if we needed to. And ultimately, I'm glad that it, you know, ended up in the camp of, you know, needing to scale quicker than sooner than later, because, you know, ultimately, that account really did a lot to put us on the map as a brand. Did you experience, you know, when, when an indie brand hits, into a big retailer, you know, my, my old salesperson was like, you have to be at 500 boutiques for anyone to walk into a department store and know to even recognize your name in a sea of Chloe, you know, Louis Vuitton, right. Seeking you out. So how did you sort of position yourself in a way so that when people did come into Sephora, they either knew to buy you, they'd heard of you or, or you stood out in, in a sea of lots and lots of overwhelming brands. Yeah. I mean, well, the good news is back then, you know, the hair care assortment at Sephora was still pretty small. I think there's like over like 70 hair care brands now at Sephora. And when I launched, there were less than 10. So I'm very, very fortunate to have been able to, you know, launch at a time where, the category wasn't really saturated. Um, and that I think helped a lot because it did bring us a lot of visibility. Um, but, you know, early on too, we were really smart about understanding like what were the marketing levers that were really driving brand awareness and beauty at the time. 
And one of those levers was actually sampling because back when I launched Briogeo in 2013, um, it was really around the birth of the big beauty sampling boxes like Birchbox and Ipsy and FabFitFun. And there was a lot of excitement and hype around subscribers of those boxes to be able to, you know, try new hot beauty. And we did a really good job of being like an early player um, within that marketing lever to be able to get our products in the hands of, you know, ultimately millions of potential consumers. And that really helped to um, accelerate our growth. And then also too, at the time we were an exclusive partner to Sephora. And so when you're an exclusive partner to a retailer, you know, they, tend to invest in exclusive brands um, more from a marketing and exposure perspective. So those two things, I think, early on really helped to propel us, um, you know, despite us being so new um, and still gaining trust with the hair care consumer within Prestige. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. And so from that growth opportunity, what was your next step in order to continue the momentum? I feel like we get these chances and when we take them, you know, things can can speed up. And if we don't know what to do with them, they, they often crash. Yeah, I think for me, it was really all about keeping up the momentum and similar to fashion, um, you know, beauty really is led by trend, you know, the same things that, you know, looked cool or worked a couple of years ago, chances are they've evolved, um, especially in the world of digital marketing where things are changing so, so rapidly. And, you know, over time, especially because we went, you know, so hard with sampling, you know, that sort of marketing lever started to, you know, die down for us a bit. And we had to figure out, okay, how do we keep up that momentum of, you know, new client acquisition? We've got to think about another channel. And at the time, I guess this was now, you know, 2015 or so, 2016, um, the rise of the YouTube beauty influencer was becoming, you know, such a dominant force for, you know, brands to drive awareness, buzz and excitement about their brands and products. So we started shifting some of our marketing strategy into, you know, YouTube influencers, um, Instagram influencers, and we're able to create a lot of success um, because we were working with influencers that already were talking about our brand and had a genuine, you know, interest in our products. 
And that really became kind of that next lever for us to maintain momentum and what was starting to become, you know, an even more crowded space with more brands, you know, entering prestige than, you know, ever had existed before. So now you're in a very, very saturated market. Everyone's doing clean, natural. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, specialty hair care. How have you managed to continue to stand out as, as it gets harder? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think, um, you know, there's been such to a flock to, you know, digital in terms of, you know, a lot of digitally native brands. It's really, at least historically, it's been able, you know, you've been able to scale pretty quickly and, and build, you know, audiences through digital marketing without even having, you know, a retail partner. Um, I think, you know, certain challenges have arisen on that front. And I think that what we've been able to really build and turn back to is just investing in the brand. Um, Because the truth is, it's so easy to go out and find a contract manufacturer and to develop a product and, you know, to put it in your packaging. But, you know, you've got to really invest in the brand building piece, establishing the trust with the client. And that's not something that can happen really quickly. You know, it takes years to be able to do that. And, you know, we've been building that since 2013. We're coming in on our 10-year anniversary next year, which is really exciting. And so I think one of the things that really helps us, um, despite being in a very crowded environment, is the fact that we've been building for a while, not only from a brand awareness perspective, but also really, you know, fine-tuning our brand over time so that it's not just about the product, but it's that emotional connection you know, with our community. And I think that that's, you know, probably one of the most powerful things that you can have outside of product is a brand that really, you know, resonates and withstands the test of time. Who is Briogeo for? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Because the truth is, Briogeo is for everyone, no matter your hair, texture, type, ethnicity, background, sexual orientation. And that's something that's always been core to Briogeo from day one. Briogeo was never about me, but it's about all of the, you know, clients we serve and can serve. So one of the unique things about our collections is that we really kind of focus on problem solution. And through that methodology, we're able to really address the needs of so many different people, but really great question. It's for everyone. I love hearing that. And and for those listening, you know, when I switched my hair care to predominantly black owned brands, that's when my, when my hair actually started behaving properly. Um, (laughs) I just want to give that plug. I was like, Oh, I, I guess I just have frizzy hair forever. And then I started using a number of black founded brands and I was like, Oh wait, my hair doesn't have to be frizzy. It just, I've been using products meant for blonde haired women this whole time. So, well, it's so true actually, because so many hair concerns can be addressed through moisture level And, you know, a lot of the black owned brands that I know, and, you know, something that's even true to Briogeo is that, you know, those formulas really prioritize moisture balance. So it's not about, you know, stripping the hair, you know, because that was the old belief, right? Was that like oils were bad for the hair, oils will weigh down the hair, oils will make the hair look dirty. Um, And that's not true. The right oils, especially, 
you know, naturally derived oils, not silicones actually do so much to really like reinvigorate the health and just natural sheen and beauty of the hair. Um, and you do often find those um, more so predominantly in, you know, black owned brands. So it's funny you say that. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So anyone listening who has thought maybe their hair would just be shitty forever, please give Brioche <laughs> I love it. What do you think has been the hardest lesson you've had to learn as a founder? Yeah, I think, you know, and I think a lot of founders that I talk to kind of say the same thing is that, you know, sometimes it can be a really, you know, lonely journey, even when you start to hire teams and executives, because, you know, as a founder, you've been there from the beginning, you've put in a lot of sweat equity time, your own capital, you know, you've really absorbed, you know, the the brunt of the tough times, the challenges, etc., And sometimes, you know, it can be really, you know, challenging in that finding someone who has that same perspective and that's, you know, willing to, you know, take the same sort of risk and make the same investment in the business. And so I think especially for those people that don't have a a co-founder that are sole founders of their company, um, it can be really challenging, you know, sort of owning um, the weight of everything that comes with launching, building, and scaling a brand. So who do you turn to being that you're the sole founder? Who's been your network of support? Um, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of like the business day-to-day operations, you know, I've been so grateful to have been able to build out, you know, a really exceptional executive team. And that of course, sure has evolved over time as well. Um, but I've been really fortunate to have worked with some really talented people that have been, you know, my right hand in terms of running the day-to-day operations. But, you know, in terms of, you know, support outside of that piece, you know, I've also been really fortunate and working with an incredible, you know, investor um, that I took on back in 2019. They're no longer an investor because we exited the company. Um, but I found them to be incredible in helping me to think beyond the day-to-day in terms of the long-term vision and, and strategy of, of where we wanted to take Briogeo over time. And then, you know, also just really grateful for a network of friends that aren't necessarily entrepreneurs or business people or within beauty, but that I think, you know, just give me a lot of good life perspective that, you know, helps to really kind of balance at all. So you mentioned an exit. Um, I read that you were acquired by Wella and I'd love for you to take me through that journey as, as someone who, you know, blood, sweat and tears, then you sell your baby. Like what was that like for you? And then what, you know, what, what does that mean today for you as, as day to day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think just like any company that's on a really strong, trajectory, you want to continue to invest in the future. And oftentimes in order to do that, you need capital to reinvest, to scale teams, to scale innovation, to scale infrastructure, all of that. And depending upon where you are in the life cycle of your company, sometimes that capital may come from friends and family. Sometimes it may come from a bank. Sometimes it may come from a VC or a private equity investor. But then there comes an inflection point where you have to decide, 
hey, does it make sense to continue to raise funds through you know, institutional means or find a strategic partner that can help provide both a financial infrastructure, but then also resources that perhaps you know, a VC and private equity company can. And I think that was one of the things that was most, you know, compelling about the Wella partnership is that they have such a strong heritage and core competency um, within hair care. So they know exactly what we do. Um, They have incredible resources from an innovation perspective. And, you know, so much of that decision was really kind of thinking about what sort of long-term partnership does Briogeo need to be successful Um, It's been an incredible part of our journey so far, and I'm really, really excited about kind of what this means as we think about, you know, expansion internationally, expansion into salon, expansion from an innovation perspective. There are a lot of really, you know, exciting things on the horizon that I think, you know, this partnership will be paramount um, in helping us to get there. So does your day-to-day role and focus change or they said, hey, we're buying this, but please stay and, and work your magic? Yeah, so I'm still the founder and CEO of Briogeo. So nothing's changed from that perspective. Um, we still have the same sort of organizational structure that existed um, prior to the acquisition. I think the only kind of bigger change is that I'm now also part of the Wella leadership team which has also been just a great, you know, opportunity for me to learn from, you know, a different set of executives and really kind of be a part of more strategic discussions that are happening at a much bigger company level. So I'm really excited about, you know, the opportunity to also expand my, you know, leadership horizon through all of that. What would you say to women who are, you know, thinking about launching who are at the very beginning of their journey, like, when you sat in your kitchen going, what makes you happy? And, and you turned that into an incredibly successful business and an exit and, you know, growth for you. Yeah, I think number one, you know, don't decide to become an entrepreneur because, you know, it's something that you see a lot of other people doing and having success with or because you hate your job or because, you know, you want to make a bunch of money potentially you know, I always think that the things that have the greatest potential of being successful are things that come from the heart. You know, let your passion and your intentions and motivations really drive that decision and don't let it be an external thing, let it be an internal thing. And if, you know, for some reason that doesn't come to you, that's okay too. But I just feel like, you know, the things that are intentionally created from the heart really are able to create magic over time. And I think if you're one of those people who are lucky enough to have that true heartfelt, you know, passion, I do think that that is, you know, kind of the number one recipe for being able to, you know, withstand the ups and downs that come with being an entrepreneur that, you know, grit and, and, and persistence. So I think my big piece of advice is, you know, if being an entrepreneur is something that you really want to do, let it come naturally. Don't try to force it and try to really find something that, you know, really makes your heart sing. Because when you do that, I think that's how you create something really special. And what for yourself do you tell yourself now? Like what's the advice you give now in terms of, you know, you have you had almost I don't want to say fairy tale ending because you're still there, but something that so many people start their businesses, want to have happen? Like what, what gets you up in the morning now? 
Yeah, I think it's just, you know, for me, success looks like having the same level of excitement and engagement that I did in the beginning and being able to find that and evolve that and morph that in new ways, given where I am now, because I'm just a big believer in, you know, don't continue to do something that doesn't feel good. And I know that a lot of people don't have that option for, you know, different reasons, whether it's financial or, you know, responsibility related, but, you know, where you do have the ability to fine tune your passion and excitement for life with a career, that's where you want to stay and engage. And so for me, that's what success looks like, even though the business has changed so much and it looks different and the organization is different. You know, how do I find new opportunities and things within the business that, you know, give me that same level of excitement that I had when I first started the company? I love it. So my last two questions, which I ask, I would say 99% of all my guests are, what is one thing we'd be surprised to know about you? And what is one piece of advice you either learn the hard way that you'd love to pass on? Yeah, I think um, maybe one thing people would be surprised to know um, is that, you know, because I, I dedicate so much of my time to Briogeo is that you know, I have passions and things that I do outside of Briogeo. I think people would be surprised because they'd be like, how do you have time for that? And I probably don't have time for that, <laughs> um, which is like a whole nother thing. But um, one of the things that I really love doing outside of Briogeo, I love interior design. It's something I am so passionate about. I actually um, moved to Florida last year and um, I bought my first condo. And everyone's always like, oh, who did you use to do your interior design? And I was like, oh, I did it myself. And everyone's like, wait, you had time to do that? Like, how could you have possibly done that? And it actually became just like my like, just outlet for, you know, creating that balance and space in my life was just, you know, being on different furniture websites and, you know, looking at magazines and blogs and just discovering like these really cool pieces. So I think that's one thing. Um, that people would be perhaps surprised to know about me. The piece of advice, and and there's so many different pieces of advice, but I'm just going to give you the one that comes to mind and maybe is most relevant for me right now, is that, you know, when you're thinking about building a company, so much of being able to get to a point of success is really pouring yourself into it. You hear a lot of things about grit and hard work and perseverance and all of that stuff. But if you don't find the time to create balance and take care of yourself in the process, it could actually be completely counterintuitive to creating the success that you want. And so no matter how hard you're working, creating that self-care regimen a plan for how you're going to invest in yourself at the same time is so critical because if you can't show up each day with the right energy, the right vibration, you know, the right just level of of feel good, you're not going to be able to do your best work. And it may take you longer to get to the place that you want to be, or you may make some mistakes because, you know, you don't have that focus and mental clarity that you need um, to, you know, drive the right judgment call. So, um, I think that that's super, super important is just making sure that like you don't just have your business plan for your idea, but that you have a business plan for, you know, keeping yourself healthy and a priority throughout the process. 
So then let me ask you this. Is that a lesson you learned the hard way from not doing that? Um, you know, fortunately, it wasn't a lesson that I learned that really impacted my health in a negative way. But I noticed that, you know, for me, kind of how stress was showing up is that, you know, it was really kind of impacting my ability to do as good of a job on certain things that I knew that I was really talented at. And so when I kind of saw that it was becoming harder to do that or taking me longer, it really was a wake up call that like, hey, I need to step back, slow down and make sure that I'm creating that balance. Otherwise, I'm not doing myself, my team or anyone good justice. And so, you know, luckily it didn't materialize in any sort of serious, you know, health issue, but it definitely was a wake up call when I felt like, you know, I really wasn't operating at what I knew I was truly capable of. I love that. I think, you know, it take it takes everyone's some sort of wake up call, especially when you're building in the beginning. Mine came, mine came a lot later when I was like, oh my God, I cannot continue at this pace if I never take a break. So I'm always appreciative of people who find it sooner. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, So where can people follow you, support you, buy your products? Yeah, totally. Well, Briogeo is now sold globally. And so we can be shopped globally on briogeo.com. We are a global uh, partner with Sephora. We are domestic in the U.S. with Ulta. So lots of places you can now find Briogeo, which I'm so grateful for. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram at Nancy Twine, T-W-I-N-E. And I'm actually working on some fun stuff related to my personal brand as a founder that will be uh, kicking off next year, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to go ahead and guess you're writing a book. No, not yet. Taking baby steps, but it does, it does relate to content and it does relate to, you know, just ways that I can take my experience, the things that I'm passionate about to be able to help others through empowerment tools and resources. Follow me on Instagram to stay up to date with the latest on that piece. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on and for sharing your story. And I'm excited to hear what comes next. Same here. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. And by the way, my middle name is Rebecca. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.